Would you mind joining me up on the stage and follow us, Jay? We could be please welcome Jess up as she shares the word this morning. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you. Sorted. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to everyone and to my mom-in-law who's here looking after Bella. <laughs> we'll see how long she sits there quietly for. <laughs> so um, were there any moms this morning that got some um, coffee and breakfast in bed? And, oh, okay, there's okay, a few good dads <laughs> here this morning. <laughs> my husband went fishing quite early this morning, so he at least brought a cup of coffee before he went. So, um, yeah, like Lloyd said, this is my, my first Mother's Day as a mom. Um, and, yeah, it's been quite cool to think of everything I've learned over the last few months and all the things that I've, you know, grown into. And one thing that I've definitely um, learned or, or appreciated more since I've become a mom is I have a newfound appreciation for my mom for everything that she did for me, all the nappies she changed, all the sleepless nights. Um, and so to my mom and my mom-in-law and all the moms here today, I wanted to say thank you for your compassion. Thank you for being so nurturing and kind. Thank you for being sacrificial in service to your family. Thank you for remembering everyone's favorite meal. Thank you for the to-do list that's constantly running in your head. It keeps the household functioning. And thank you so much for your love. And may be reminded today that what you do matters to, to your family and your church and your, the community um, at large. So yeah, one more happy Mother's Day to, to everyone here. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and so since it is Mother's Day, I thought we would, you know, the, the topic of this discussion could be about a mom, um, a mom who I've, yeah, really thought about a lot more recently and whose story has kind of been something I've been meditating on, that's the right word, for, for quite a few uh, months now. And it's the story of Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel. And we're going to read quite a chunk of scripture this morning. Um, it reminded me a little bit of when I was younger. I was in, I, I'm not sure what the denomination was. I think it was Church of England, but the like structure of the service was that someone would first come and read all the scriptures and that the pastor was going to kind of reference and then the, the sermon would start. So I'm reminding myself of that this morning because we, we're reading quite a chunk of scripture, but yeah, it's a, it's a very um, good story, better than Netflix. So it starts in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and it says, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Hannah had oh, Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah and his family, they would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Elah, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days that Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having 
Children, year after year, it was the same. Panina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Is anyone here grateful that they're not sharing their husband with another woman? <laughs> I'm like, this sounds like a terrible family dynamic. <laughs> I think my husband's grateful he doesn't have two wives because how do you keep both of them happy and go fishing? Mission impossible. So then Elkanah says, why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than 10 sons? This is a confident husband. Once after one of these sacrificial meals, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place besides the entrance of the tab tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. So when I read this, I was thinking there's quite a lot of similarities in this story and the story of Samson that Lloyd shared on last week. And it's yeah, cool how God is often so consistent and in sharing a message or story to his church. So as Hannah was praying, um, Eli watched her and seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she must have been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I'm so discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of anguish and sorrow. Well, in that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant this request that you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat and was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship once more. They then returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named the son Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went again on their annual trip to offer sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go with. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, and then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. So from the reading I did, they, they guess he was about three years old when he would have been classified as being weaned. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here then for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Silo. They brought along a bull and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, the priest. So do you remember me? Hannah asked, I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord for this boy, and he has granted me my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. Okay, is everyone still awake? <laughs> You've done your chapter of, of Bible reading for the day, so you can tick it off on the Bible app. <laughs> so... Um, Hannah, this, this woman, she struggled for all these, these years to fall pregnant and cries out 
to God and says, God, you know, please grant me this request of a child. And then she's granted this request and then she dedicates him to the Lord and leaves him at the temple and, and says, I'm going to let him serve the Lord at the temple. The small child that she had longed for, for so many years, she would now only see once a year on their annual visit to, to the tabernacle. Found it a bit easier now to imagine um, that as, as a mother and, you know, what must have been going on. I think if I was Hannah, I might have had a slightly different response and, you know, said something to God along the lines of, I was very hungry, God, when I made that promise to you. And, you know, this woman who you've put in my family, she was being horrible to me. And, I mean, what were you expecting? I was in emotional turmoil, God. Like, of course I didn't mean that I'm going to go drop my son off at the tabernacle. Like, are you, are you crazy? But, in fact, that was not Hannah's response. That was actually very far from her response. Instead, she says, or it says in, in chapter 2, Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Hannah was not downcast. Instead, she was singing out, praises to God. How did, she, how did she do this? What was going on in Hannah's heart? Well, I believe that Hannah had entrusted her son to the Lord and she had complete confidence that God would care for him and father him and teach him and, and lead him into all that, that he needed to, to grow into. Like Lloyd spoke about Last week, God has this heaven picture for our life. And, and Hannah, I believe, she didn't want to stand in the way of that picture for her son. And she wasn't going to let her fear or her worries or even her own desires get in the way of what God had planned for her son, Samuel. Instead, Hannah was part of a God story. She was part of this heaven picture becoming a reality. And we'll, we'll chat uh, later on in the message about what became of Samuel, but there was a big heaven picture for his life. And I think Hannah has set an example for all of us and given us some lessons that we can learn this morning on how we too can have this bold and confident trust in the Lord. And to actually be part of these God stories. Hannah had bold trust, so she was willing to take this step and, and be part of a God story. There's probably some of us, yeah, that have maybe been wrestling for a while now. There's something maybe scary that God is asking us to do, and it's maybe come up in a few situations and a few conversations, but we can't quite figure out yet, you know, how is this all going to work out? Maybe we're scared of, of what others may think of us or, or scared of, you know, just what's going to happen? God, I can't see, you know, this picture clearly. And my hope 
for this morning is that this message will equip and encourage us to just do it, to just take that step of faith and to see what God can do with that and to see what God's story can actually come from that step of faith. So there's three things that I want to share this morning. Actually, three things I think we need to let go of um, if we want to be able to have this bold trust. Luckily, I'm so used to babies crying that I can just block it out. So <laughs> it doesn't even <laughs> impact me anymore. Sometimes when my mom was visiting us a while ago and... Um, Divin and I were chatting and she's like, guys, can't you hear Bella like moaning? And we're like, no, we just blocked it out now. We didn't even notice anymore what's going on. In any case, so three things that, that I think we need to let go of that hinder us from taking that first step of faith and, and living that bold and courageous life that Hannah did. So the first thing this morning that I think we need to let go of is our own calculations. We need to let go of our own calculations and instead trust God's calling. So for me, this is a bit of a tough one because I love calculating. I work in actuarial science and so I spend the majority of my day calculating, you know, how much should we charge a 60-year-old woman who lives in Jeffreys Bay for a million rand of life insurance or how much extra cash should we hold in case there's another pandemic like COVID and we get a whole lot of claims. I love it. In my world, the more scenarios that you can test and calculate, the more you can understand all the risks Involved, and so the easier you can mitigate them. In my job, the more you calculate, the better this, the, the decisions are that you can make. But something I've learned is that as a believer, that equation doesn't always hold true. Instead, I need to be willing to trust God's calling over my own calculations. My calculations might point me and my family in one direction, but if God is pointing in the other, then I need to be willing to trust that the God who created the universe, the God who holds the whole world in his hands and who knit me together, knows more than I do. That his ways are better than my ways and his thoughts are higher than mine, that he might see scenarios that I haven't even thought of yet. You know, Moses, his calculations told him that he didn't have the ability to, to lead the people of Israel, but God's calling was that it would be Moses who would stretch his hand out over the Red Sea and allow the, the Israelites to walk through and escape from Egypt. Jonah's calculations told him that he should flee from Nineveh. These people weren't worth saving. But God's calling was that the message and, and redemption and repentance be preached to thousands and that thousands be saved. A little bit of a story in, in a personal example of this, I guess, in, in our families, and I'm sure a few people here have probably thought of the same thing, is... Sometimes the calculations say, maybe I should look at this moving overseas thing. But then you need to ask yourself, 
you know, is that what God has called me to do? Divan and I, um, at our wedding, yeah, wedding ceremony, the this, the song we, we sang was So So Will I from Hillsong, and I love that song. And it's saying, like, God, where you tell me to go, I will go. And, you know, we have committed to, you know, wherever God tells us, if he tells us it's time to move to Australia, we'll go to Australia. But until then, should we not be, be serving and shining in the place God has put us? And, and maybe there's a God story right here that he wants us to be part of. You know, we, we, God tells us to be a light in the world. And where is a light needed the most? Well, where it's darkest, pun intended, you know. <laughs> and, you know, when I say this, I'm not, definitely not saying that we should become ostriches, stick our heads in the sand and ignore the news and are just oblivious to the world around us because God has called us to be diligent and he's called us to, to be wise and, and to live, you know, wisely in this world. But we do need to believe that God can be above our base predictions and probabilities. That if he tells us it's time to build a boat in the desert, it's because the rain is coming. So I'm going to leave the stats metaphors for a moment now. <laughs> Give all the people who hate maths a break. Um, point two, the second thing that I believe we need to let go of is we need to let go of our sense of ownership. We need to be willing to let go of our sense of ownership and surrender instead to God. So Hannah, she could take this bold, brave step and give her son or, or drop her son off at, at the tabernacle because she knew that before he was her son, Samuel was God's son. That it was actually God who had knitted Samuel together in her womb. It was, it was God who had crafted every hair on his head. And he was the one who would determine Samuel's destiny. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Are we living our lives, you know, believing that everything we have is a gift from God? Or are there maybe some things we claim ownership of and, and we don't want to actually surrender them to God? Maybe our, our money, our gifts and our talents, um, our children, our bodies, things that we haven't yet realized. These, these are God's. It says that the, everything in the world. And once we realize who the owner of all these things is, it's easier to surrender them back to him. God, what is it that you want me to do with the talents you have bestowed upon me? God, who can I help with the finances that you have blessed me with? Okay, God, you've called my child maybe to something scary, but I know that ultimately they are yours. You will watch over them when they go out and when they come in. When we are willing to let go of our sense of ownership, we have the right posture, the posture that God needs to actually do a miracle 
through us and, and have a God story through us. When we surrender to God, we position ourselves to be useful and fruitful vessels. Another mom who lived this out was Mary, the mother of Jesus. She said, God, you can use me. I'm, I'm surrendering my body to you. And through that, God could do a miracle. The Shimonite woman, she's one of my other favorite women to read about in Scripture. Her story is found in, in two kings. And she saw this, the, the prophet um, Elisha and realized that he needed a place to stay. He often traveled through their village and, and had nowhere to stay. And so she ended up building a, a room for him on top of her house. So she gave up her sense of ownership of her home and said, no, I am going to use this home um, to glorify God and, and surrender it to God. And in doing that, we later read that her, her son was actually raised from the dead by the prophet Elisha. She got to be part of this God story because she was willing to surrender her home and allow a man of God to stay there. So this leads to the, the third point, which is that we need to let go of our apathy and get expectant. We need to get expectant. When we are, are, are you know, following God's calling and surrendering to Him, we can expect something amazing to come from that. Hannah's decision was bold, but I believe that's because she knew that God could do more with Samuel's life than she ever could. She was expecting to see what the God picture was that God had planned for her son. What became of Samuel? Well, Samuel, this little boy that she dropped off at the temple, it says, Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with people. Samuel ended up becoming the priest of Israel. He ended up becoming the judge of Israel. He at one stage led Israel to come back to God, to get rid of all their, their idols and idol worship and to turn back to God. He led them to defeat the Philistines in many battles. Samuel also appointed the first ever king of Israel, King Saul. Later on, he anointed and appointed King David, who's probably the most you know, well-known king. Someone told me in Grow Group this week that um, King David's actually the, the character that's written the most about in the Old Testament, 66 chapters or something like that. Don't quote me on that, but something along those lines. So I would say Samuel had a pretty important life. <laughs> there was a lot that God wanted him to do, and, and he got prepared for all these things by his time in the tabernacle, serving God, learning scripture, learning from the priest Eli. I think that life exceeded any expectations Hannah had when she held that little infant in her arms. And what happened to Hannah? Poor Hannah. She had to deal with this terrible other woman in the family and this arrogant husband. And she waited years and years to fall pregnant. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that 
I was Hannah, if I had just gone and I dropped the sun off at, at the tabernacle, I would have given up on my hopes and dreams of ever, you know, having a full table and having kids running around and, and you know, watching my child grow up. She had already tried for so many years to fall pregnant and now she would have even been older than she was before. I'm sure her calculations told her, you know, this is it. I'm going to have to be happy with seeing my son once a year at our annual sacrifice. But, you know, Hannah ended up with five more children after Samuel. From a barren womb to a full table. Hannah's expectations were exceeded. If the Holy Spirit is asking us to do something bold and courageous that's maybe a bit scary, a bit confusing, it's because there's a purpose and a plan and and there's a good and exciting God story that he wants us to be a part of. You know, I'm going to sidetrack a little bit, but sometimes we think God's story is only for us. It's got to be for my good. It's got to be, you know, something great for me, but sometimes we forget that sometimes the God stories we are part of are for someone else. And we need to be willing to, to want to be part of someone else's God story. Even maybe it doesn't, might not make, you know, our lives so much happier. We need to be willing to be a part of someone else's God story. And have that expectation, you know, rise up in us if God has asked us to step out. You know, maybe God's asked us to do something different for our career than what we expected. Then our our response should be, okay, God, so what is this exciting thing that you have planned? It's not my plan, so it must be a better plan. God, what are you going to do with this bold and scary step that you have asked me to take? I believe we live in a world that needs a lot more God stories. We live in a nation that needs God stories. When we were first saved, we were part of a God story, but I don't want that to be the last God story that I'm a part of. I believe there's still so much that God can do and wants to do through us, but we need to to say, God, I am willing. We know that God's not a forceful God. He's not going to force a miracle on you. You need to position yourselves to let the miraculous work through you. So in closing, I actually want to read a little um, testimony from one of, my, one of my friends. I've shared it in a few places before, but I don't think I've shared it yet. Um, one of mine and Devon's good friends, she's an occupational therapist in Durban. Um, And I want us to consider, as we read this story, how she availed herself to actually be part of someone else's God story. There are so many God stories for us, but but in this instance, she was actually willing to be part of someone else's God story and let that miracle work through her. So she says, I recently saw a 37-year-old gentleman who's from Malawi, obviously now has her work um, as an OT, He works in a factory to provide for his wife and children back home. He was subject to a xenophobic attack and stabbed with a knife in his lower back. The medical team 
deemed him paralyzed with permanent spinal cord damage. No active movement, no sensation from the waist down and not much to hope for. I completed a wheelchair assessment, which is a standard procedure for spinal cord injuries. I seated him and got him familiar with his new means of mobility. We started chatting about the beach as I pushed him back to his room and I asked him if he liked the beach, to which he responded no. I asked why and his words were, because I can't go there anymore. In this moment, I heard the Holy Spirit say, it's time, lay hands. I asked if I could pray for him and he said, yes. He shed a tear and said he felt peace, but nothing spectacular happened in that moment. The next day, I went to the ward to see him, but he was not there. The nurse on duty informed me that he had been sent for a nerve conduction test as he had started regaining feeling in his legs the night prior. The test results came back and left everyone astounded. No evidence of spinal cord insult was found. Fast forward, four days later, he was discharged from hospital walking. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's a pretty, I've got goosebumps, I know. I've read that so many times, but I get goosebumps every time. You know, our friend, she was willing to pray that, pray for him. She was willing to be a part of that God story and take that bold step of faith. My challenge for us this morning is that we don't miss out on what God wants us to do. Even if it might not quite make sense, you're not sure how this is going to work out, put your trust in Him. God, you are the painter and I'm just the painting. I surrender my hopes, my dreams, and my plans into your hands. And God, I wait with expectation to see the fruit that this step of faith will produce. I want to be part of a God story, just like Hannah was. God, use me. Amen. Can we stand and pray this morning? Amen. <laughs> so Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day to celebrate women and mothers and the beautiful design you have for our families, God. May we, may we just yeah, nourish it and, and protect it and protect this, this gift and design that you have given us. Lord, I really pray that you would stir up things in us this morning, Holy Spirit, and that if there's you know, something that we have been considering for a while now, something that we feel you have placed on our heart, God, give us the faith and the courage to just do it, to take that step, God, to pray that prayer for someone, to do whatever it is that you have called us to do. God, we are expectant that you will do miracles through us. That there are many God's stories that you want to do through this church, God. And we this morning come before you and we position ourselves and we say, God, use us. Let us be part of your story and your plan for, for this town and for this nation, Jesus. We honor you and, and we thank you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.